Okay, here we go. Oh. <laughs> Come up higher. It's in the Bible. How, how many of you how many of you make it to Thursday morning? I know it's a smaller group, but Thursday morning every once in a while, Holly's there, Beth is there. Thursday morning Eucharist. The Strutzels sat, sat in the very first, and I wondered if that was like, gotcha. Well, you know, I was thinking about, you, who, you had Drake with you, right? I was thinking about it as Drake was sitting there. One, I thought it was an accident, and then you couldn't move, so you just sat there, but he wanted to be right there by the action, yeah. I'm, I'm continual, in fact, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, we, we had the candles up because Sunday was, you know, we celebrated Reformation early. By the way, happy Reformation Day. Thank you very much, and with your spirit. Um, we celebrated Reformation Day uh, on Sunday, and so we had the candles up. But, you know, when you go in there, this is what's so great about having guys like Joe and Orland, Joe Williamson Link, Orland Houlihan. You know, they get up on a school morning at, what time does Joe get up for this? 6, 6.30? 6.45? Gets up at 6.45. I mean, we have, we have staff people that aren't up at 6.45. <laughs> and Joe's, Joe's up at 6.45, dressed in his church clothes, here at the church at 7, lighting incense, turning on the lights. And what's glorious is, you know, the sun isn't out right now at 6.45. And uh, we light all the candles on the back wall, 27, 27 of them, then the six on the wall, and then the two inside. So there are, you know... 35 candles lit. And I think, it'd be, I'd be anxious to hear what you say, but I am so taken by that. Being, being at the altar and, uh, you know, and speaking the great Kyrie, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and to see the candles like that is otherworldly. And there's something about that beauty that kind of draws you in. So needless to say, we're going to do it every Thursday morning now. Um, because it's just, it's just great. In fact, I just read a quote this morning from St. John of Damascus, who said, uh, who said, if a pagan asks you to show, you, to, to show him your faith, take him into a church and show him an icon. Take him into a church and show him an icon, which means there's more to your faith than what you can recite. If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and show him an icon. And, and the hope is you can say that same thing about this. If a pagan asks you to show you to show him your faith, take him to church and show him the candles. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. So, it is. Yeah. Well, in a sense, it's like even with, just with the candles, and this is how you can begin to read so much into what we've talked about. But there's beauty and community and justice uh, and spirituality all in the candles. I mean, in a sense, the candles are justice. It's darkness, and the candles bring you light. And light and darkness are always opposed to each other. And of course, then in the Gospels, light triumphs over the darkness. So there's justice, there's beauty, there's community that invites you in. Jesus at the Last Supper, it's in the evening, they light candles. We're going to have a dinner, this is the place to be. And then spirituality, it leads you into the normal rhythm of the Christian life. Just seeing the candles, and that... That is, um, there's no other church in the Missouri Synod that does that. There just isn't. So, <laughs> well, I told you, I, who was I telling? Yeah, 
Chloe and Claire, Jill said, Chloe and Claire, they went to one Thursday morning Eucharist, and then, you know, the ne- that night said, are we going again tomorrow? Or Emma, every night when she goes to bed, verbatim says, I love you, Daddy, I'll see you at church. Because that's what she knows, it's church. Because <laughs> I'm always there. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking about it the other day. I, I mean, on Mondays I'm there, but I haven't... I mean, I haven't actually been around for a breakfast with Emma for a long time. So, and that's really, you know, when I went to Scotland, it gives you a lot of time to reflect. That's not, that's not, it's not good. So, yes, exactly. Well, when I left the house for the past week at 5.20, you know, she should have been up at 5.20 eating breakfast with me, but it is what it is. So, yeah, exactly. That's... Really? <laughs> gotcha. That's I like that. I mean that's Yeah. What time would be good? Well, I mean, uh, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious. What would be a good time if we did it another day? Yeah. Yeah. We have, yeah, we have tossed out the idea of doing it more often. I mean, that, that for me, it's, it's, that was like a, that was a throwaway idea. We used to have devotions with the staff, which was very nice, but we kind of said, you know, what we really need is the Eucharist. So we just threw out the idea, let's have the Eucharist, and now it's been going strong. I mean, it went from 26 people to, we have 60 on a Thursday. Um, but yeah, we have talked about doing it more, more than one day a week. Um, even like during Lent or Advent, having it every day, which would be kind of cool. And, and you could then be flexible with times, so we'll see. All right, from the book, everyone get a chance to read? Kirby, remembered her book? You found it. Did you return the other one, or are you just like keeping that just in case you lose this one again? I want you to see my name is written in the Oh, boy. There you go. All right. And you all, and you all read Israel? Chapter 6, I think. Is it 6 or 7? 6, Israel. Are you serious? We're done for today. I didn't read, well, I've read the book, so okay, so we can talk about seven, but we didn't talk about six. You know, here's what happens. I go away for ten days, and this place goes to, on a handbag. Okay. Well, let's, let's go to chapter six. Go to chapter six, and tell me if there, I mean, I have certain things that, that I liked about it, but um, is there anything that kind of jumps out at you in chapter six? Anything that just jumps out at you besides welcome to drama class? Yeah, yeah. It's truer than what you think. Yeah, I know. All right, anything in chapter six? Okay, well, that's great. Um, I'm moving right along. No, let me start here. I think. You know, it takes, and again, this is, just, this is just what happens when you have a little time to reflect. It takes going away to realize how, how 
joyful and sweet a homecoming can be, right? So, uh, you know, if you don't go away for a long time, you don't always realize how, how great coming home can be. I, and it's not long. In fact, I just got a call yesterday from the seminary uh, asking if, well, first they called Bruzek about Africa and asked if he'd go for two weeks to Africa to teach. And then they called, uh, Quill called, Tim Quill called and said, would, would I go to Russia for two weeks and teach? Now, that would be great, but in two weeks, Emma goes from like two years to 15 years, right? So, uh, but, but going away, and I don't go away that often, but going away, even for eight or 10 days and then coming home, you realize how sweet the homecoming can be. So, um, did anything in that section just about homecoming kind of jump out at you? I mean, that's, that, we often talk about the scriptures being purely death and resurrection, which is very true. But another way of saying that is that they're just exiles and, and coming home, right? And especially today, this is actually very good. This is why I love having you in the class. Especially today, you know, Reformation, Reformation Day and Reformation Sunday ha always has the possibility of becoming, let's bang on the Catholics and talk about how great it is to be away. And I don't think you heard that on Sunday. That was not the sermon on Sunday. And in fact, Last year when we had David Scare here, that was not the sermon of David Scare. Um, in fact, we ran in the margin comment a portion from his sermon in 1994 where he says, if Reformation is all about talking, what you, talking about what you don't like, then it's not truly a Reformation. So Reformation is about what you love. There's a great article, I almost brought it down today, by, uh, by Robert Jensen, who's an ELCA Lutheran. And he says, he said, we didn't leave Rome but we're exiles. And being an exile presupposes that eventually there will be a homecoming, right? Eventually there'll be a homecoming. So we didn't leave, we got kicked out. And the message of Reformation is we're hoping for a homecoming someday. So, you know, that's why I often joke that we put up red and talk about how great it is that the Catholics are wrong. We should probably put up purple and say we've repented for some of our sins over the past few years. But Reformation is all about being exiled and then coming back home again. But you see that all over the scriptures, and Israel then is, uh, is the prototype for being exiled and coming back home. But anything in there that, that jumped out at you? Yeah. Yeah. He, what? Yeah. They're the king. Torah and new creation. And the king then was justice, right? And the temple was spirituality. And the Torah was community. Didn't you like his, his discussion of Torah there? I mean, when you read Psalm 1, blessed is, blessed is the man who delights in the law, the word there is Torah. It's not about blessed is the man who likes being smoted by the Lord. It is blessed is the man who rejoices in the community the Lord has formed beginning in Eden, right? It, Torah is more than a bunch of, a set of laws. Torah is community. And then new creation, of course, that's where the beauty comes in, B-E-A-U-T-Y. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, because 
Well, I'll just give you this now. It'd be, it'd be helpful to look at. Torah is, the, that's the writings of the Lord, right? You pass those around on that side. And I think we have this, this strange idea. There should be 30, but that may not be enough, so you just need to share, okay? You know, we talked at length when this started about the place of Holy Scripture, and I think, at least today, um, we're going to look at one text in particular. So if you wanted the Scriptures, you're going to get it today. It's, gonna be, it's actually going to be great fun, because we're beyond now to a certain extent, talking about what postmodernism looks like. Now we're talking about how you engage a culture that is utterly postmodern. And that is done, in some respects, with the scriptures, but in a different way than I think you and I often think about the scriptures. Um, we, use, we, we talk about the scriptures like this. You need to be armed with the scriptures, which, which naturally implies that there's some sort of battle that's going to take place. Okay? That's not how you engage, engage postmodern culture. Even in the Old Testament uh, with the Torah, it was, not about, it was not about battling with the Lord's people. The Torah was, and we'll see this in just a second, the Torah was a love letter from the Lord to his people. Okay, so look, look down here um, at the, the third one by St. Jerome. You are reading the scriptures. No, your betrothed is talking to you. This is very important. Your betrothed is talking to you. It is your betrothed, that is Christ, who is united with you. He tears you away from the solitude of the desert and brings you into his home, saying to you, enter into the joy of your master. Or as St. Bernard says, scripture is a love letter. Okay, now that's very different. Um, Well, this, I'll, I'll just tell you this because this is a side of me you don't often see. When I went to Scotland, um, I had been three times now without, without Abby or Emma. And, and here's the thing. This is so fascinating to me because many of you think or probably think Gainick likes getting away. He doesn't care if his family's with him. That couldn't be further from the truth, okay? There are times when I like going someplace. And, and he talked about this early on when he talked about community. Yeah, people like to be alone for a while, but you, there's something abnormal or subhuman about wanting to be alone forever, okay? So I go to Scotland, and, and the worst part about going to Scotland, everything else is great. The worst part about going is I don't know anyone there, absolutely no one. So it's not like taking a trip with even a colleague or a friend. You go there, and as I said to Abby, I said, well, I go to the library. I go to the pub, I go back to the library, I go back to the pub. And, and my conversation for the day is, I'll take a pint of Cronenberg. <laughs> or do you have fish and chips? <laughs> or can you tell me where this book is at? And then I go back to my room, and that's it. Now for me, as strange as this may sound, I find that to be um, bothersome and lonesome in a way that I actually can't explain. And I said, I said to Abby, Abby actually came this time partway through the trip, and it was, again, this was like exile and homecoming. It was, I mean, I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't rejoiced in seeing someone come see me since we dated and she lived in New York and I lived in Indiana. It was very strange. Um, and part of that was because the tension is so high at these things that, you know, all you need is a little normalcy in your life. You're sitting with your doctoral father as, 
Ruzik and I talked about, he said, did you read for Brown? Because this is the way it works in, in England and in Great Britain. You don't just go and give him your stuff and he reads it and says, yes, I like this. You sit there and you read it to him. <laughs> so he gets up at one point and he says, uh, he says, I'm a little chilly, Mr. Gainick. I'm going to stand over here by the furnace and warm myself as you continue to read. Okay, now so you can imagine this setting and you know that, you know, if you mispronounce a word that you should pronounce correctly, there might be hell to pay for that. So, you know, that's your life when you're over there. So a little normalcy is great. So Abby comes and, and, it, and it's wonderful. And I said to her, there is something intrinsically not evil, but just not right, something that's anti-Eden about husbands and wives not being together. There's just something that's not right about that. That's not the way we're created to be. That's why when the Lord says in the garden, it's not good that man be alone. So he makes Eve and, uh, from Adam's side, and then suddenly they have companionship. But while I'm there, she had written me this note and popped it in my, my suitcase. And she said, when you get there, read this on the first night. Because it's your first night away. You know, you're not going to see Emma. And what was so striking to me was not that the letter just contained information. The letter actually delivered the presence of my wife in a very strange way. And, and, uh, and if you take that letter and if I were to read it to someone else, they wouldn't just say, wow, that's great information about your wife. They would say, I now know something about your wife that I didn't know before. Because that's what love letters do. Now it's very interesting that the Lord or that the, the church fathers then say the scriptures are a love letter. So it's not about having the right information. It's not that the scriptures just say, here's how you're saved and here's how you're not saved. The scriptures actually deliver the presence of a person. Bless you. You're welcome. The scriptures actually deliver the presence of a person. And if we have that mindset going out and trying to give a good defense for the faith, it's not just about bombarding people. Or as I said, I'm writing an article for Touchstone magazine. And I said, you get out, you know, too often we just get out our apologetical rifles and start firing. It's, it's engaging the world with a love letter. That's what apologetics is. Okay? So, and that plays right into exile and homecoming. When you're exiled, what you need is a love letter to bring you back home. That makes sense? Okay. So, you know, I certainly had presuppositions as I read this, um, but I think it works. Then you have Benedict there. This is, this is so good from his last encyclical on divine love. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Or as he said in that homily, Christianity is not an intellectual system, a packet of dogmas, a moralism. Christianity is rather an encounter, a love story. It is an event. And that's how you engage a fallen world, especially a fallen world that's so caught up in the quest for justice, spirituality, community, and beauty. You've got to show them the Lord's love letter. And that's how exiles are brought back home. Okay? Yes, got something? Um, it should be, I think it should be Deus Caritatis Est, which is on divine charity. But it's probably misspelled there, because whoever had that citation misspelled it. But it's, it's on divine, divine goodness or divine charity. 
Yeah, God is charity. Who's that? Benedict? Benedict. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, we t- I think we talked about this the first week, that his last papal encyclical was on divine love, which is, well, that was, I mean, last being last in, uh, uh, chronologically, meaning that was his first one, the last one we've seen as a, as a country, as a church. It was his first one. Yes, it was. And you've got to ask, why did he write on divine love? Because of this, right? All right, so what else from that chapter? I don't know anything about the next chapter, so. That's right. <laughs> Eventually. Well, what's, what's interesting is um, you see this. We talked about this on Sunday a little bit if you were at the 1015 Bible study. This is the way kind of salvation history works. You have the fall, and then you have Israel. Israel boiled down to one in the person of Mary just by her uh, Kyrie, the rejoice. You remember um, in Zechariah 9.9, the prophet speaks to Israel and he says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. And then that same word is used as introduction to Mary when he says, rejoice, um, the very first words in the Annunciation, rejoice or hail, O favored one, which means Israel is suddenly boiled down to one in the person of Mary, who then gives birth to a son, Jesus, in whose life you are caught up, and it goes back out then into the entire world. So this is the way, you know, this is why in Acts it says, uh, go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, everything boils down to Jerusalem, and in the New Testament, everything then just billows out until the ends of the earth. Okay? So you have Israel, who we talked about today. You'll eventually get to the person of Mary, who gives birth to a son who sends you out into a broken world to engage it with beauty, community, spirituality, and justice. Look at Luke chapter 15. Will you pop that open if you've got a Bible? I know this is strange. We're going to open the Bible. I know. Uh, well, today, today is a new day. Luke chapter 15. This is the story of exile and homecoming par excellence. Okay? You know it as the prodigal son. Uh, Prodigal just means wasteful, but really, uh, as we'll show in just a second, it shouldn't be called the prodigal son. Uh, Instead, it should be called the waiting father. Okay? Someone want to read? Or is this like the joy group where people don't read? Oh! I told you, the first day I was in the joy group as a vicar, I said, who'd like to read? They said, we don't read. You read. <laughs> Okie dokie, then. All right. <laughs> then, of course, yeah, then, of course, they can't, they can't and save the two who are here who are satisfied with most things. But I read from the ESV, and they stopped me midway through the first verse and said, that's the wrong translation. <laughs> well, suddenly, you're setting the rules. Okay. So, being a good vicar, or uh, gentle Gainig, as I call myself now, I, uh, I got out the NIV and read along with the rest of the class. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, okay? Let's, have, let's just look at the text and let's have some fun and see what happens here. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> you need a Bible? Okay. Here we go. Luke chapter 11. Or Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, right there, you should be tipped off to something irregular is happening. Because when a father divides up his inheritance, who does he give it to? The oldest son. Yeah, so basically, this younger son is usurping his position and coming to the father and basically saying, go ahead and die now. But the father, but the father, being a fool, gives his son the property. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. I asked the eighth grade, what is reckless living? And Harrison Hernandez said, the good life. <laughs> he probably has a point. The good life. I said, you're a boy that needs to go to confession. He's not unlike many boys. <laughs> that's, that's right before he asked, can I kiss a girl and like it? At least he asked. I mean, so he, Sarah May right now is thinking, I cannot believe I'm listening to this. This is, this is like going to go on the Synodical webpage later. So he went, he squanders everything in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, if you're a young Jewish boy, what's the one animal you don't get involved with? Pigs, okay? You see how, I mean, this is a parable. So Jesus, Jesus is going, no pun intended, whole hog here, okay? He's going all out right now. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and here, his, here is his grand plan. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Which means all he wants to do is be less than a son again. He just wants to be back in the house. It's not about belonging to the family. It's not about any of that. It's simply... He wants a place to lay his head and some food to eat. And when he arose and came to his father, and, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And the Greek word there for compassion is splachna, which means from his insides. It's the deepest, most sincere bit of compassion you could ever have. It's the same compassion Jesus has on the widow's son at Nain, right? Remember in the Psalms, he says he cares for the widows and the fatherless. So you've got a fatherless boy who's dead and a widow who's just lost her son. And Jesus has compassion. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, here, here's how, just if you, if you know anything about the ancient world, which I'm not saying you have to, but I'll tell you about the ancient world. Noble men, like this father, who had enough to divide his inheritance between two people, usually lived at the top of the city. So there are all these, there are all these other homes along the way, right? He's the noble man. He's up here at the top of the city. And here is his son, 
coming back from a far-off country. What's that? Stinking like a pig, yeah. <laughs> and the father is out watching for his son. So it's not that the son gets all the way back to the door and knocks on the door and says, Dad, I'm home. The father is out watching. This noble man who has nothing better to do uh, than stand out and watch for his son actually wastes his time looking out into the far off country, hoping his son will come back. So his son, he sees him and he runs. And as Aristotle says, noble men don't run. This is very important. Noble men don't run. In fact, in the ancient world, you couldn't show your ankles as a man. So you're wearing these long robes, and you'd never show your ankles. And they even said, if a, if a pigeon flies underneath your robe on the Sabbath, you have to sit down and not show your ankles until the next day, and then you can let the pigeon out. Okay? Harrison liked that, too. He thought it was funny. So this father, this noble man, is out waiting for his son, and he runs down the hill to meet him. He runs, and as you know, noble men don't run. But that's not the best part of the story yet. He embraced him, and he kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, what doesn't the son get out? If you just read it quickly, you don't notice it. What doesn't the son get out? His plan. He's going to earn his way back into the family. Make me as one of your hired servants. But when he comes back to his father, he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And before he can say, make me as one of your hired servants, the father puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his hand, puts sandals on his feet, kills the fattened calf, and celebrates. And you see, even here, in just the action of exile and homecoming, especially the homecoming, you see these four things, beauty, community, spirituality, and justice. He doesn't put any robe on his son. He puts the best robe on his son. It's beautiful. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you're a slave. He says, you're my son again. That's community. He has a meal, which in the New Testament is all about spirituality. Jesus does his doing in table fellowship. And they begin to celebrate, which is, uh, which is not only beautiful, but also justice. The son, which was dead, is now alive. Wrongs have been made right. Yes, Kirby. Yes. Right. Right. It's ex I mean, that's exactly it. And Jesus is, in some sense, Jesus takes your place as the prodigal son, but really he's the waiting father. If it's embarrassing for a father to run down in the middle of the city, that's why in Isaiah it says, you know, before all of creation, they, they made a mockery of him, of Jesus. He embarrasses himself in front of the world in order to redeem his lost children. But the key is, in the exile and the homecoming, you see all four of those things, justice, beauty, community, and spirituality, all in the homecoming. It's all there. 
So you should be able to use this story. And this is just like the woman caught in adultery. This is, this is like any of the other stories you've heard. This is a story that when someone says, my life is screwed up, you can say, wow, <laughs> there was a boy like that once. Because there are plenty of kids and plenty of adults who would say, we always say this, the prodigal son has returned. But no one ever knows what that means. They just think it's, boy, the boy came to his senses and he came back to his dad and his dad said, yeah, I guess I'll let you stay in the house again. That is not it. This is confession without excuses and absolution without conditions. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses and the Lord won't put conditions on your, on your absolution. <laughs> there's, a, there's always the then before there's the if. Okay? There's always the then before there's the if. That makes sense? Okay, so this is just another one to add then, not to your arsenal or to your rifle, but to add just to your embodiment of the gospel. Okay? All right. You don't look like you're having fun. <laughs> what do the Pomos think? Jenny? <laughs> She's like, oh, I just woke up. It's, uh, <laughs> this has been great. <laughs> This is, um, you can read this a number of ways. You can read this as add another one to your arsenal because uh, this might come in handy. Or you can say, scripture is a love letter. And in this story, Jesus is telling us how he loves us. Okay? Yeah. Does he really? Wow. Well, is there anything else? Do you have anything else on Israel? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. We're slaves in our own land, and that's probably true. Now, the, and the and of course you know this, but the only difference is, our slavery is not one of oppression. This is you know these folks are obedient to their masters because they need to survive, and we're obedient to our master, specifically to Jesus, because it's an invitation to a life. So Jesus, Jesus as, as the master, um, he doesn't destroy his slaves, but he builds them up in such a way that they actually become like him as master. It's a whole different understanding of slavery. But it is true, we're slaves in our own land. And even, even the notion, he said this at the very beginning, that even though Israel is, chosen, is the, cho the, the, the chosen folks, they're the ones who screw it all up, and yet the Lord still uses Israel to fix the problem. And you see that all over. Numbers 21 with the snake. The problem is the snakes, and he uses a snake to fix the problem. Jesus on the cross then in John 3, he makes a connection to Numbers 21. The problem is sin, so Jesus becomes sin for us. The problem here is disobedience. They're not obedient, and yet he uses the problem to fix the problem. And all of that uh, is funneled down to the person of Mary, who then gives birth to a son. Okay?
Yeah. That's, that's very, that's well said. And, um, and of course the hope is, and I think he makes this pretty clear at the beginning of the chapter, the hope is that we don't just bang on Israel because, uh, because when the Lord decided to choose a people, he chose Israel first. Uh, and, is, and this was very well said. If you were here for the Patrick Henry Reardon conference, someone, I think someone raised the question, what happen, what will happen to the Jews when the Lord returns? Um, and it was a dodge, I think, on his part. But at the same time, it was a good dodge. He said something to the effect of, they are the Lord's chosen people. Um, and essentially, the Lord's going to sort it all out. But yeah, in this light, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, that just having Jesus means there'll be peace there. There'll be a peace, as, as the liturgy says, that passes all understanding, but not the kind of peace that may make war cease. It may, but there are plenty of Christians that the Thirty Years' War is one of the bloodiest battles between groups of Christians. So the hope ultimately is that Zion is restored in its fullness, which is all the people of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their children, and the children of Jesus all together as one. That's the hope. If you don't say that, if you can't say, I hope the Jews will be saved, you have to wonder whether or not you're a Christian. Because that, that's, I mean, that's real life. If you have any desire for people not to be saved, that goes against every ounce of the being of Jesus. So, yeah. 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 If they're not willing to receive the gifts, yeah. Right. 
Well, and, and the, short, the short answer is that's not for us to decide. Um, even with Pharaoh, you know, people misread the text in Pharaoh and say, look at that, he gave him 10 shots, and then as the, as the English Bible says, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. But in the Hebrew, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The Lord never hardens hearts. The Lord never destroys people. But eventually, this is why, I, you know, I often say Burger King is the greatest heresy. Have it your way. That's the greatest heresy. Because eventually, he may just give you what you want. He may just let you have your own way. So eventually, did you get buzzed? Tell her to be quiet over there. We're trying to do a little theology on this side. Um, but that's for the Lord to decide. He'll sort it all out. And that was the tech, that was why we read Psalm 13 this morning. Why have you, why have you been so hard on us, Lord? Why have you, why have you dealt, with, dealt with us this way? And then it ends by saying, but we will trust in you and rejoice in you because you have dealt wondrously with us. Okay? Chapter 7, should we go on to chapter 7? All right. Let's see. Someone want to get us going here? <laughs> well, this will be great. Oh, yes, right. Where is that at in here? Well, why don't you ask the question so I could be reminded of it? Okay, good. Yeah. Well, here's, uh, anyone else have trouble with that? Anyone else agree and say, yeah, that's right? Go ahead. Go ahead, Holly.
Yeah, the, the difference is um, if you're not a Christian, you hear the voice, but you don't know from whom the voice comes. And you may even say, you know, you may even say, I know that the voice comes from some sort of higher being. But the difference is you may know, you can be a non-Christian and know that the Lord somehow exists, but you can't be a non-Christian and know that the, that the Lord exists for you. That's the distinction. So even in creation, yeah, you can go out, I mean, Adam's Park, you can go out and look at Adam's Park and say, there must be a good God who creates this sort of thing. But you don't know that that good God is necessarily for you just by the mere fact that he made the trees and planted the garden and did all of that sort of stuff. So even in the echoes, you know the voice of a God, the voice of a divine, but you don't know that that divine one is actually for you. And so what N.T. Wright is doing is he's saying everything now comes to a head in the person of Christ. So it is all about Jesus. So to get back to your question, which is a very good one, because uh, you know one of the things that especially Lutherans have kind of uh, neglected is actually talking about the Christian life. You know, kind of the, uh, you go to, you know, um, well, I mean, even here maybe, who knows, but you go to many Lutheran churches and, you know, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Um, but, as, but as Luther says, you know, your good works serve your neighbor. And so we've had this whole theology for years and years and years where it's all been by grace alone, by grace alone, by grace alone, and you can live like a, you know, pick your word the whole week and come to church and receive the gifts, and we say, well, isn't that great? He's saved by grace alone. That's actually not the way the Lord works. That's part of the reason why we're reading Galatians and James side by side. Galatians says it's not by works, and James says you're saved by your works. So how do those two fit together? Well, St. Paul in Galatians is saying, here's how you get in Jesus, and Galatians, or J James is saying, here's how you live like Jesus. Now, the, prob the reason he's saying this is not what we believe is because, uh, again, for years and years and years, this, has been what, this, this is what drove the church. So you have the social gospel. If you just go out and feed the poor, you're all going to go to heaven. Yeah, you just be nice. If you just, you know, if you just, if you just, whatever, love people. Yeah, if you just, what would Jesus do? Or even the moral, the moral exemplar theory, as it's called, which is precisely what he's talking about here. If you just live like Jesus, it's all going to be okay. But the problem is you're not, you're not actually starting with Jesus. You're starting with yourself. And Come to church. Here's the thing. I'll give, you, I'll give you a little heads up for Sunday's sermon. Look up heaven in the Bible. Look up heaven in the concordance. And less than like four references actually deal with being dead and going to a place. So we all say, this life is hell, but someday we're going to go to heaven. No, actually heaven and earth intersect right here. I'm but a stranger, heaven is my home. That's a completely Gnostic hymn. It denies the reality that you can actually have heaven here. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, at Reformation, we sing, I am but a stranger here. Germany is my home. Think about it. That's exactly right. But are the Swedish Lutherans really Lutheran? <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Actually, yes, right. Actually, one of the guys that came to my ordination and brought apostolic succession with him, because he was ordained by a bishop who can trace it all the way back to St. Peter, was a Swedish Lutheran. Yep. 
to show a little respect, apostolic succession. Go ahead. You have a question? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What gets the first word, Jesus or your moral life? If Jesus gets the first word, then whatever goes for Jesus should go for you. This is why I said you might be a slave in your own country, but you're a slave who is becoming like your master. The Eastern Orthodox said, or they, they say, the church has always said, Athanasia said, God became man that you might become like God. So more and more, you're being caught up in the life of Jesus, which means, you know, there's something, there's something real about someone like Betty, who's, how old are you, Betty, 40, 45? <laughs> Double that, okay. There's something like, there's a, there should be, a, there should be a, a marked difference, hey, hey, between someone like Betty and someone who is 24 and been to the supper, you know, five times. To have the body and blood placed into you over and over and over, that doesn't mean she's forgiven any more or any less. It just means being joined to Jesus in that way changes the way that you live. Changes the way you live. So the, the greatest examples in this congregation should be the joy group. It really should be. Those are the people who should train up children in the way that they should go. And children are anywhere from zero to joy group. Okay? Because they they're the ones. That's why it's a tragedy that for you know 100 years, the Lutheran Church gave out the Eucharist once a month or once a quarter or once a year. There's no becoming like Jesus if you don't have the Eucharist. Yeah. Slaves to the world is, is, not, is not the way of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any yoga takers in here? What's, what's, yeah, what's funny is you have people that come into the liturgy and say that's too formal and too reverent. Have you ever seen how people hold their hands and act at yoga? I mean, it's like it's more reverent than the liturgy. The heated.
It's all, yeah. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, even Oprah was on last night at like, or two nights ago at 11.30. The stuff people say on Oprah is just, you know, I cheated on my spouse in the backseat of my car, and I didn't tell my kids and my family. But people, you know, if they just said that in confession, they'd be all squared up. But, in, you know, they can tell Oprah. And Oprah says, well, look at your marriage and see if it really works. And instead of justice and beauty. And yeah, right. I don't care how it makes me feel. Confession without excuses. Yes. I don't have anything else to say on this, so go ahead. <laughs> I didn't read. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell her in five words or less. I don't even know what the secret is. <laughs> What's the secret? That's <laughs> that was my reaction. And she's not a Lutheran. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she's Catholic. Well, that's a shame. Um, you know, here's, well, here, all kidding aside, the reality is this is why even incantations and things like that are so troublesome. I mean, the, uh, much of witchcraft is just the divine liturgy backwards or skewed. It doesn't mean all of it. There's some that isn't, but much of it is. So you take some truth and twist it. All heresy has a good bit of truth in it. And even this, the truth in that is, if you say it, it might just happen. That's the viva vox. That's the living voice of Jesus. But it also is a voice that, um, when it's not Jesus who is speaking, can also be living, but in the end, it'll kill you. So, um, I mean, that, that's, that's, the difficult, that's the difficult thing. Um, and, oh, I'm sure she has. Yeah. 
Well, here, here's, what we, here's what you don't want to do. The one thing you never want to do is just say, well, that's, uh, that can't be real. I mean, I was just watching NBC5 yesterday morning, and they said, we're going to go to a graveyard and see if people speak to us. And I kept thinking, these folks are, I mean, I like them. Rob Elgus, nice guy. The girl, who's the Ginger Z? She went to college with my wife at Valpo. I mean, all these people, nice people. Why would you go to a graveyard and see if people are going to speak to you? Yeah, they're going to go and see if the spirits of the dead speak to them. It's, I know it's Halloween, but, uh, oh, yeah, that, that's their point. But, but I kept thinking to myself, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Because the world thinks, isn't this cute? Even if they, even if they say, I heard something, at the end of the day, they're going to say, that probably can't be true. Or even her, yeah, I'm speaking and the green lights happen. But at the end of the day, that's not going to hurt me. When, I mean, I, I won't tell you because it will keep you awake at night. But I've engaged, even, even in the past two years, dem the demonic. I mean, stuff where it's chaos. I mean, it's just absolute chaos, which is a, which is a marked sign of the demonic. St. Irenaeus says, you know it's the demonic when things are animalistic. And I went to a place where it was, it was animalistic. I mean, the dog going nuts. The f just, okay, so it's, it's real. And what you need to do is um, the only way to combat that is with, with a good dose of Jesus and, uh, and the gifts that he has to give. I mean, he, there are exorcisms all the time. I forgive you your sins. In a sense, that's an exorcism. Every baptism is an exorcism. So... Well, just Yeah, eventually, eventually your luck runs out. Um, there'll be a red light, and she'll get peeved, and something will change. But that may not happen for a while. So the more, the more Jesus you can give people, or even, you know, here's, here's the thing. She's after a quest for spirituality. And so why, I understand the point. It'll, it'll fizzle. I understand all of that. At the same time, if that's what she wants, why don't we just give it to her? Which is, hey, I, you know, I think, I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. I know what you want. At least I think I, think I do. Why don't you come with me? I'll show you some. I'll show you some place where you can get just that. And it, and it's not that it's not that she's going to show up and suddenly drop it. It's she's going to show up and see. At least maybe there's something else out there. Oh, hey, hey, <laughs> Yeah. Right, right.
Yeah. Well, and that's why that's why we said at the very beginning, Scripture is a love letter that draws you back home. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's actually that's a that's a that right there is a very helpful comment we have with this new catechumen. And I just talked to someone last night who devout Roman Catholic. I mean, um, spouse studied in Rome, and they, you know, th- I mean, you don't get much more kind of blue blood Roman Catholic than this. And, uh, and I said, I said how, is, how is the catechumenic going? Because right now they're just hearing the scriptures. That's all it is. And, uh, and she said, we've never been happier. And, and you ask why, and, she, and, and the answer is, we finally feel like we're at home someplace. Now, so why is that? If it really is a love letter, it's, it draws people back into the fold and says, this is where you belong. This is your home. I love you. I know you. I'll forgive you. This is how we live together. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you they uh, they all do. That we'll see. We'll see when they come down with the pastors. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Then it then it might all. Uh, well, then it. We'll see if it still goes so well, but uh, I think you're exactly right. I think they've been they've been uh, surprised by how much they've enjoyed it. So, what else? Anything else in this? Beth, you had your hand up 18 minutes ago. Okay, perfect. You want to? You can give us one more. You can wrap us up if you've got one more thing. Right. Yeah. 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 That's very true. It's a constant struggle.
<laughs> well, and here and here's the uh, yeah. And, and part of, part of kind of a, a real good work, in a sense, is it's a good work that's unknown, real honestly. It's a, it, and that doesn't, mean that, that doesn't mean that you're not a charitable person, because you say, I'm just going to wait till I don't know it and then see what happens. It means you know, much of what is done uh, is often done, and the Christian doesn't even know it. But the only way that it becomes natural, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it. Yep. Yeah. There's a difference between having having sort of a charitable personality or being hospitable. There are many hospitable people who don't live a life of good works, because that's just that's just who you are. But it's like anything else. We send kids to school so they learn the rhythm of academics, reading, and testing, and researching. It's the same thing with being a Christian. The only way that that it actually comes to be natural, and I and I won't say it'll be natural in heaven. That's such a dodge. That is a very that's a huge dodge. But the only way it becomes natural is when your life actually becomes defined by what the Lord gives at the altar. And I know, you know, someone said to me the other day, all you ever talk about is the altar. And my response was, what else is there? I mean, that's it. And so when your life becomes so defined by that, when you can't imagine anything else, someone in this class said to me, I can't imagine a day. Uh, every day I wake up, I just want to be at the altar. Now that's someone who it's coming naturally for now. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it also doesn't mean that you have to wait to heaven to get there. The more you're caught up in the sacramental realities, body and blood, the more your life has changed. And there's still the old Adam who is a pretty damn good swimmer, and you need to pu push him down every day. This is why Luther says, drown the old Adam. He, I mean, he keeps coming back up. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, at the end of the day, he, he'll be finished off. It's all going to be okay. So I don't know if that's any comfort, but keep coming to the Eucharist, and that'll teach you how to, do, you know, teach you how to live a life of good works. Okay? I have no idea. No, I don't know. <laughs> for next week, did you actually all read the section on Jesus for today? <laughs> There's one honest one in the group. All right, read the section on Jesus. Read Chapter 7. Yeah, read just the first one on Jesus. Seven, um, and what we did talk about seven to a certain extent. Why don't you read seven and eight, if you can do that? Seven and eight—they're both about Jesus. Read seven and eight. We'll finish up seven, and then we'll uh, we'll go into chapter eight, which is where there's some good questions about even whether or not Jesus knows who he is and what he is to do. Those are those are going to be helpful things to talk about. Yes. No school next Friday. Yeah, let's, you know, it's a smaller group. Here's the thing. Last week, uh, la or last time we had no school, the message got out late. Please come. We'll have child care for your kids if you need a place for them to stay. We'll send them down to the gym if they're older, nursery if they're here. But, yeah, let's plan on meeting. And um, do we have the, do they sign in at this? Do you guys sign in? Didn't go around today. Didn't go around today. Is there a sign-in sheet down here? If you can sign in, here's what we'll do. If you can sign in, please, if for some reason we're not going to meet, we'll get a hold of you and let you know. That way you don't show up and say, but plan on it, and we'll have child care for next Friday. There's no school? Wait, is that the day of the women's retreat? Uh, we probably, 
All right, fine. What a, yeah, sure, well, let's meet. That'd be great. All right, let's close and we'll go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.